Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner, and BizSimply is the all-in-one HR workforce management rotate operation software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. I actually genuinely do love champagne and, you know, that champagne with a small C. And I think if you, if you think about what champagne means to most people in the world, it it connects to celebration, it connects to special occasion, it connects to I'm feeling joyful, it connects to there's a reason why I'm uplifted. Um, one, one of our hotels has as a motto, if you will, this is in, in Epernay, so literally in the middle of the Champagne region, is make it pop. And mm. we think about that as part of our culture, that every day, that, that sound of a Champagne cork popping, that's, that's what we want. We want every guest to feel that emotion that happens when you pop a Champagne cork, because it's usually tied to all kinds of, of of special occasions or celebrations of some kind. This week, we have the amazing Denise Dupre on as a guest. She is the co-founder and managing partner of Champagne Hospitality. She's a magician when it comes to recruiting and retaining great talent. She hires her employees according to precise cultural fit and refuses to let key players go. We'll learn about this and her incredible journey in hospitality and what led her to co-found Champagne Hospitality. We discuss the challenges and learning of building an international boutique hospitality business and ensuring that culture is always the key to success from one property to the next. We discuss the power of taking risks and learning from failures, no matter your position in an organization, and how do you have to build an environment that ensures that people feel safe and willing to both do mistakes and take risks and learn from them. We also learn more about how Denise has developed as a leader and how she keeps on learning and unlearning to be on the forefront and be ready for the next thing around the corner. If you like today's episode, it will mean the world to me if you can leave a review of the show, either on our website, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. The better the reviews, the better the guest, and ultimately, the better the learning is for you. This episode will make you ask questions about how strong your culture is, and if it is actually contributing to your competitive edge. Enjoy. I believe it's early morning for my guest today, and I'm super excited about bringing you our guest today because we're definitely going to be talking about culture, which you know I love here on the show, and really understanding how you actually maybe evolve it and actually get it to work over decades. And also, we're going to be talking about how to get the right people in the right seats, and we're going to be also talking about how to actually deal with some of the challenges we have in the world, especially climate change which is a huge, huge one. With that said, I would love to welcome you, Denise 
from Champagne Hospitality. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Michael. Nice to be here. And Denise, uh, for people that, you know, haven't heard about you or Champagne Hospitality, can you give them like, you know, a, a bit of background on, you know, what has your journey been individually and how did you came up with uh, Champagne Hospitality and, and what are you all about? Oh, Michael, that's a great question and goes back generations. I'm a fourth generation hospitality person on my mm. mother's side and third generation on my father's side. Yeah. Um, my great great grandmother um, was in the hotel business in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and my grandparents on my father's side immigrated from Germany and started a ski area in Western Pennsylvania. So mm. I come by it honestly. I grew up in the business and got to see all of the inner workings, which can be both exciting and and also rewarding as you think about what's happening in the back of the house that makes people smile in the front of the house. So mm. been in the business in a family way for a long time. And along my journey, I, I did some detours, but I found myself coming right back because I just loved the spirit of it. And, and what made you co-found Champagne Hospitality? And what is it that you're trying to do with uh, your business? Yeah, I think... Well, I should I should say for a good part of my career, I was a faculty member and, in fact, the dean of a hotel school for a while. And probably the biggest inspiration is the thing that I most loved about teaching, particularly in a professional field, was watching a freshman migrate through their college experience, becoming a senior and giving them career counseling and coaching and seeing the extraordinary energy and excitement as they launched their careers. And I thought, wow, it would be an incredible part of the journey to start with those college seniors or entry-level people and watch what happens in a business going forward. And some bit of it was serendipity and opportunity in, in developing a hotel that came my way that I decided to do a bit of a career pivot and change from being in the classroom to being on the ground. I had always spent a lot of time, even when I was in the classroom, consulting or in the field, because I think it's the kind of academic learning that you have to be fresh and current to, mm. to be helpful to students entering. So it was really sort of the joy of of developing careers. And and how did that turn into you then started you know a business? Because I guess like being in academia and then suddenly go out to business. It's quite a change. It's, it's for, very, very, very two very different environments. It's definitely my own experience. For sure. And in fact, in some ways, it was a bit of a scary moment. You know, it's can you walk the walk? Can you do what you've said you've tried to coach people to do all along? And it, it turns out that um, my business background from various other experiences working with both uh, international hotel companies as a hotel consultant and also working with private companies turned out to be really valuable. So the ability to kind of arrive at the conversation with a real breadth of experience, both in, in marketing and finance and human resources, all the component pieces that, that make a business fly. And obviously in the hospitality business, the human element of it is extraordinarily critical that you know that's that's what makes the business 
And, and if you should describe the business to, to the audience, how does the business look today if I come and visit you and buy your services? And what, what, what kind of experience is that Champagne Hospitality is uh, curating? Yeah, I'd, I'd underscore one of the words in your question, which is experience, Michael, because I think in today's world, there's so much complexity. There's so much people are trying to unpack. So much comes at people. I think the stakes for how people think about the value of any vacation or travel time in some ways goes up tremendously. So the expectations are really high. That was the challenge that I set for myself, which is, you know, how do you how do you think about creating an environment that truly gives people an experience that that recharges their mind, their soul, their spirit? Um, that's the challenge. That's the high end. And we chose to to develop our company around a pretty specific kind of product. We wanted it to be relatively small so that the quality of service had a deep connection to the people that were there. So very thoughtful about how many guests we could, in fact, take good care of at one time. So that became part of the model. And we we learned and, and, and evolved as it went. You don't have all the answers when you start by any means. And, and how how did you get started then? What what because you you build now a quite an incredible business, and then how, how did you actually evolve that business? How did you get started from having that concept to actually execute it on and actually make it to what it is today? Great question, Michael. Uh, that was in part learning by doing. That was taking a framework for what I understood about the operations of a hotel. So I at least had a vision having worked in hotels for what I wanted the end part of it to look like. The beginning part, the actual development of hotels, I didn't come by that naturally, though I had some exposure to it. So that was the rich learning part. And in some ways, if you know where you're going, so you know what you want the operations to look like, Boy, what an advantage if you can be at the very beginning thinking about the end. Mm. And I think that that was the insight that if we could, because our hotels, we, for the most part, start from scratch and, mm. you know, either start with a piece of land or start with something that needs significant renovation. It sometimes can be very messy. It can be complicated. But at least it has the ability to be what you want it to be at the end. So thinking about how you marry design and something that really um, captures the imagination of a guest when they arrive, but it also has to work. So it can't just be beautiful. It has to also be operationally workable and more than workable it has to be operationally super smooth and that you naturally put elements together that what the guest experience is is wow right that's that's what you're after it's quite interesting you said uh, before you said it we, we decided we have to keep quite small to create this kind of experience can you give an idea about you know how big is the Sure. And uh, sure. you know, and, and where parts are you in the world, and why those locations? Yeah, super. Well, I, I, I'll take that in two parts. The first, in terms of size, we we think about our product as 
being about 50 rooms as the target. It can be mm. a little bit more than that or a little bit less. But what we think about is you have to have enough rooms, enough revenue, if you will, to support the kind of services that you want to provide. And you, if you're too small, you can surely provide very custom service, but you can't necessarily get the people that you want to get because you mm. want to be able to pay people really well. So you need revenue to be able to think about that. So we think about it as sort of a sweet spot between, you know, there's, there's gorgeous and incredible bed and breakfasts or Airbnbs that are smaller. And then there's a lot bigger hotels that can handle big groups. We sort of play in the middle with a very specialized, um, we say couture product. And, and the reason why that word becomes relevant to, to the answer your second question, we focus most of our energies in France and French speaking places. That happens in part just because of a true affection that I've always had and my husband has always had for je ne sais quoi, the joie de vivre, the French. And we've always loved Paris. We've loved biking in France. So it's one of those times where it, it came to us naturally. And I think the reason why that becomes relevant as we've evolved the, the company is twofold. One, if you're really excited yourself about going to your own hotels and investing in them and thinking about them, it, it, it starts from your heart and that translates to everyone in the business. And then I think the second part, um, I have such respect for where the French have led the world in some ways, there surely are competitors, but in food, in wine, in fashion, in culture, in style, in art, and again, many other competitors, like I say, um, but certainly, and Paris is the most visited city in the world. So there's something there. And we, we have as one final element, which, which is logical to France as well, done a fair amount of work in the wine business as well. One of the important layers of the experience in some of our hotels, not all of them, is that they have a, a relationship with a wine region and we've thought seriously about how we really give people the inside scoop on how it works, how, how uh, vignerons really deliver what happens in the bottle when you sit down to celebrate an occasion. Yeah, I love that, Anish, because like my next question, you know, when I looked at your collection, I was thinking, is there like an element to wine here? Is there a deep connection? You see this, and like you know, also I guess that there's a a love for champagne because that's champagne hospitality, and and, and it's very, very I can see somehow you're trying. You you I don't know if it's been conscious or unconscious, because I feel like there's an ecosystem of it's not just about the hotel, it's also about where it is and how you connect with that community. Yeah, the, the answer is yes, exclamation point. I actually genuinely do love champagne and, you know, that champagne with a small C. And I think if you if you think about what champagne means to most people in the world, it it connects to celebration. It connects to special occasion. It connects to I'm feeling joyful. It connects to there's a reason why I'm uplifted. Um, one one of our hotels has as a uh, motto, if you will, this is in in Epernay, 
so literally in the middle of the Champagne region, is make it pop. And mm. we think about that as part of our culture, that every day, that, that sound of a champagne cork popping, that's, that's what we want. We want every guest to feel that emotion that happens when you pop a champagne cork, because it's usually tied to all kinds of, of, of special occasions or celebrations of some kind. So I love, I, love, I love that metaphor again because it becomes a very simple message to follow and understand for for everyone when they of course have experienced that. But what is the, the purpose then? Is the purpose to you know get bigger? What is the whole philosophy around you know the, the foundation of what you're doing? What are you doing? Yeah, I mean growth is surely something we think about, but so deliberately getting really big isn't the goal. The goal is much more about thinking about how we can not only create an experience for our guests that's extraordinary, but there's some other elements here. Like to have a, a work environment where people genuinely love coming to work and that you're taking such good care of people. So there's a there's a ring around it that has to do with your your staff, your team. And then we really think about the communities that we're in. Like, how can I make a difference? Sometimes a, a business that, that draws visitors can have impact on a local community. And, and how can we go beyond that? How do we think about it? And, and finally, I think it, it has become in full relief, I think for any business, you have to think about the planet, right? Like the community planet Earth that we all live in. So there's so many dimensions. So it doesn't, we, we don't have to go fast and we don't have to go big. We just have to do really well in in each community where, where we're investing. And I guess also coming back to what you said before, it's interesting is that it's a blank canvas every time you do a hotel. And you create that unique experience, of course, with the the values, the philosophy, the culture as an advantage. You don't start from scratch there. But again, you need to look at each individual place because it's a new community and a different. And, and you mentioned also there, which I think is really something that's really interesting. You talked about climate change and we talked a bit about it before we did this interview as part of our preparation as well. We talked about climate change and the role of businesses and especially hospitality what is your your thoughts on that because i think you you have like a very interesting because you are in some of the locations you are in are definitely threatened by climate change yeah um well it, let, let me let me offer two examples we have a property in the caribbean in the french west indies and mm. when hurricane irma rolled through it was in just the beginning of year two of our hotel, so it was brand new, just a spectacular launch. We were so excited about the first year. And in one day, the hotel was nearly destroyed as, as the hurricane hung over the island. If you need a wake-up call to understand the impact of how climate change can demonstrably change a community, change uh, uh, an island, change a business. Boy, that was it. So it, it was a time where we said, how do we think about this really differently and profoundly across all of our businesses? And it, it launched, if you will, an even deeper desire 
to think about that. And we've made enormous progress in, in our properties just in terms of sustainability and, and clean energy and zero food waste cooking and how do we help the communities that we're in, whether it's coral restoration on a beach or biodynamic wine um, in France. And similarly, we're very focused in our wine businesses in biodynamics, early player in that. It's, it's now become much more on trend, even though we started that uh, quite a while ago. But just thinking every day about it, and to be perfectly honest, what we're incredibly helped by is the younger people are that come to join our teams, the more they care too. Mm. So they have good ideas. They have energy around it. So it, it's table stakes now. It's a must do to be really thoughtful about, about sustainability. And is there any like specific things you are focusing on right now besides all the things that are something new you're starting to actually look into to the future? Because I guess climate change and the agenda moves all the time. That's definitely how I feel it. And what you needed to do tomorrow, you probably need to do double up tomorrow. But there's also new things you can do as you start that journey. But it seems like you already have a lot of layers and initiatives. There's part of is it different initiatives in locations or is it more like a a group kind of approach or do you take yeah. the best ideas and copy them yeah i'd say it's yes and yes sometimes mm -hmm. there are great ideas that are translatable across all of the properties and and we experience share one of the things that we really pride ourselves in is in our different hotel teams even though that tends to be very much a a unit but that's just the way it works in the business that particular hotel has a group of people that are, are a unit we really try to create connections to your like situated career path to someone at another hotel where you have the ability to really run ideas by them and and it's a thought partner in some ways and we do that at all levels i think some companies do it just at the top levels i try to do it even for entry level teams even for interns like let's let's create a community where they can share but i i do think that the the initiative that emerges to answer part of your question that I think is different and is new, I think everyone is much more willing to pitch in now. I mm. think guests are more amenable to how can I help? And in fact, we're now seeing people who book with us because we are doing what we're doing. Mm. That they, they celebrate and support. We want to be we, we want to stay at a place that cares. So uh, some specific examples, we're, we're looking at some, some new evolution in a beachside setting where we are trying to think about how we encourage our guests to not use air conditioning, even mm -hmm. though in, in the really deluxe product that we're trying to deliver, that is in some ways what we've always done. People expect air conditioning, but... If you can get your guest mindset to be, okay, you're right, it's 72 degrees tonight and there's a beautiful breeze and you're right, I can help you save energy. So thinking about ways where guests still feel completely pampered and where they can contribute in a way that is so easy, like don't make it hard for people to help. 
And I think a lot of hotels are doing a lot of things with respect to, you know, simple things like hang your towel if you can use it again and put it in the bathtub if you don't want to use it. Sort of thinking about that in a much more expansive way. Like where are all the places that we use energy and how can our guests help? Because I think guests are more willing to be part of that and in fact feel good that they, they have stayed at a place that cares about the planet. And I think that number is growing. So I'd say that's a piece that's emerging. And it's becoming, you almost talk about it like when I hear you, if you put business language on like a competitive edge that you're actually curating that and you are taking the input both from staff and I guess the guest that comes up with ideas and how, and I guess like getting people to stop using air condition when they're in a warm place, it's a huge challenge, a huge notching challenge because how do you notch without telling them you need to switch it up. Exactly. Exactly. How, how do you how do you think about having them feel good about it as opposed to reprimanded in, yeah. or or that there's a negative impact? And and I will tell you the other piece of it which I'm completely struck by in, in all of my work there is an increasing desire for I can hire better people because they care too, right? And when you think about a competitive advantage, if you have a great team, wow, like and in the hospitality business, and when you think about how you're building culture and, and the long game of how do I build a culture here that incredibly wants to invest, like I, I don't come up with all the good ideas by any means. Like, for me, a good idea can come from anywhere. And that includes my team at whatever level. It includes guests. If you're really attentive to listening to guests, they actually will help you chart the path. And then that's really interesting because I know lots of people listen to the show. I know because I talk with them because they're very interested in how they get that specific part right, especially around the people because very good hospitality leaders know that the quality of the people or the quality of the relationship they have with their people and their guests is absolutely paramount for success more than ever. It's not enough just to have a good product. That experience bit is created with human interaction and the quality of their relationship. Could you share with the audience a bit about what have been your approach as you've been building the business and especially around culture and how you, you facilitate that? Because culture often is... Not see is something we do afterwards. It's an afterthought. It's not like uh, this is actually one of our key things we need to get right, like our marketing strategy or our finance and our budgeting and and our facility management, the old critical critical things. But like people sometimes are afterthought for many also because it's it's untangible sometimes. Yeah, my my first comment would be it's really hard work. So start with the mindset that it doesn't just happen that you, you really have to be intentional about how you're going to build a culture, how you add members to your team. You know, I guess one of the things I do that is maybe a little bit different, I'm willing to take chances on people if I see, if I see that two things happen. One, I get a sense that they genuinely take joy from being with other people, from being part of a um, service experience for others. Like it, it uplifts them. B 
because then it's really natural. Then the reward is on a daily basis that as a guest smiles, boy, that makes them happy. So that's, that's one piece of it. And the other is, are they curious? Are they willing to learn? Are they willing to contribute? Are they willing to be part of a team and dive in and make mistakes? So I'm comfortable hiring people with way less experience, even than might be needed in a particular place, because I'm willing to invest in training. I'm willing to invest in mentorship. I'm willing to have it take a little longer because if someone has the right attitude and they take joy from the very thing that we're asking them to do, it's not very hard work once they get going because the rewards are natural. So I think it's how you select and how you invest really early on and how you get a team comfortable with taking risks. So I think the way a company gets really good is to have everyone on your team be in the mindset that I can suggest something and we can test it and we can try it and it works or it doesn't work, we iterate, we move it forward. But setting a structure that equips your team to deal with failure at the same time, that, that everybody on the team knows it's not like something bad is going to happen if your idea fails. No, actually, we're going to talk about why it failed. What can we do differently? Bravo for giving it a go. Now, why are we smarter? So finding the good in failure and most importantly, letting people know ahead of time, that's the way we're going to process failure. We're not going to be blaming somebody for doing something wrong. That makes people a lot more courageous. Is that something you feel when you brought people in over the time that people are not used to that because, you know, failure in many organizations, hospitality, not hospitality is often something people try to avoid. That's sure they go to work. I want to avoid failure because I would be, don't want to be responsible for failure. And I had a conversation like that yesterday with somebody I said, well, then, then you will never try anything above you know, average, that's for sure. That's my view on it as well. It's just become medical. And how you talk about it's a bit like the uh, the good to great companies in Jim Collins' book, uh, the famous uh, management guru. He talks about first who, then what, and it's about the characteristic of people more than their skill sets, but also that failure and, and allowing the business to make failure are critical and the people to make failure. Yeah, and I also think there's a certain package around failure that you can give people that it doesn't feel so intimidating and it doesn't feel so like like such a bad thing and I'll call that you know failing forward or smart failure there's a lot of you know work out there that people have written about this but I think getting people comfortable that there's lots of ways to manage your failure so set yourself up for the best chance we don't not, none of us you know, if you know the odds of something is going to be better than something else, you're going to place your bet on the thing where you think the odds are better. You're not just going to randomly pick something. So getting people to say, okay, how can I shape whatever the initiative is, given everything I already know? Chances are, you know, in some ways, every move is just an iteration. It's just building on something someone else has already done. There's very little, you know, 
um, true innovation that isn't built on something else that's already been done. So what do I already know? And then getting comfortable with a conversation that says, okay, what, what could go wrong here? Let's, let's imagine what could go wrong and what would we do about it? Because I think, again, if you get people into the mindset that it's okay to talk about failure, because you know what, this could happen. But if it does, ah, this is our idea, we're gonna redirect, we're gonna go here. But we're not sure that that's what's gonna happen. It could be, it's gonna be yet another thing. And okay, that's gonna be our redirect. I think the other thing is you can start with a smaller scale. You don't, you don't have to invest enormous amounts of resources to test an idea. So getting people to think about, okay, how big do I have to make this to have it be truly a trial? Like it can't be so small that it's insignificant, but what, how do I size this? So just getting people comfortable that we're, we're going to fail. Like it's going to happen. That's, that's okay. Here's how we imagine what could go wrong. Here's how we're going to scale it. Here's how we're not going to be random. That's, that's how you sort of do the preamble, right? There's a, a package of things that you get people comfortable with. Then once you get into the actual trial, if you will, have the courage to know when to stop. Don't rationalize why, okay, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. No. Have courage to say, you know what, that didn't work. And be good with that. So knowing when to stop and getting your team comfortable that they are empowered to say, okay, stop. So that's the, the because sometimes I think you, you can like, you can just keep going and, oh, you know, in your heart, it's not right and it's not going to work, but you feel like, oh, we've already invested this much and so-and-so is going to be upset. No, like if it's a failure, let's call it a failure. And then finally, process the failure. Why did it fail? Be really clear about that. And again, you can see the whole thread here is if everyone feels great at the end, end of that whole lineup of things you have won right because then the next time you have a staff meeting the person who was thinking about oh i don't know if i should bring this up or not but i think this could be a good idea that's not how they're thinking about it they're like i can't wait to get to the staff meeting because i have another idea i see a way we can make this even better sort of having people feel momentum for forward thinking i love to work with the team over at BizSimply because they are always striving to get better 1% better every day so I had to share this with you because BizSimply have launched a new blogcast which highlights some of their favorite hospitality maverick podcast episodes over time and if you're new or hardcore super fan of the show, this is a perfect opportunity to catch up with some of the standout episodes from our massive back catalog. The Simply team has and will be extensively transcribing interesting moments from each episode while providing some new insights on our brilliant guests, the Mavericks. There's already some great write-ups with Mavericks like Chef Chantel Nicholson, and the co-founder of Singerman's community of businesses, Ari Weinswein. Find them at bizsimply.com slash blog and click blogcast on the right side view. Enjoy. 
really interesting about that thing when to stop yeah because there's a lot of talk about you know taking very from the lean startup kind of approach in tech you know you know try you iterate and test out different things i guess that ability also to say you know when 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 should we stop you know testing things when should we park it and i think lots of people when they then got get buy-in for a, pro a project in a business they almost have faith for that to fail as well and actually it's okay to call out the failure because you did it before the failure actually accumulated in to become the thing yes. that actually maybe becomes a bit of a risk factor for, for, for you or or the business for that sake but actually you you tried and like most of the time exactly that's two elements that really have to be balanced to try but also to stop for really especially as founders i'm a, i know that from my own experience where i don't want to stop something because i am so deeply <laughs> believe it in when you look at it very very rational or analytically or you know just think about how you really you really thought about it is this ever going to work if it's a product you want to sell or an idea you want to sell to somebody and you can be a bit stubborn as the, the business owner sometimes as well yeah and michael i think it, you, you know your your comment about how when you're the founder so if you're the initiator of the idea hmm. the, the people that can come to your rescue is if you have a team that you trust and you're being emotional because you you're the founder you had this idea but boy everyone around you sees it a little differently and they have a little more clarity because they don't have the emotional tie that you do if you if if, if a team is comfortable knowing that their teammates are looking out for them and when they say you know Michael actually this isn't going to work and you feel good about them coming to your rescue as opposed to feeling badly that your idea failed that's a real win not easy and and not everyone is capable of, of sort of onboarding that kind of team reflection but that's you know another piece of the culture which is getting getting a team to really look out for their teammates right like that's that's hard that's hard on a sports team it's hard in a business but anyone who's ever been on a sports team that like did so incredibly well it's not just about the athletic ability often under the covers is a coach that really cares is teammates that look out for each other when they have a bad day i mean there's a there's an emotional layer underneath of the athletic ability i think same thing is true in business you know, if you if you feel like your team has your back and is really looking out for you, your ability to say, you know, you guys, you're right. I, that, I, I, let, how do we how do we get up tomorrow and try something else? I'm good. Uh, it's really interesting because this made me me think about a conversation I had with my mentor some weeks ago, and he said, like, you know, CEO in principle has, you know, or CEO founder has a couple of jobs. He said so it's uh, setting a clear direction or clarity and purpose of direction, and uh, get the right people on the, to do the job, and uh, get the wrong people off the bus, as he says, <laughs> from Jim uh, Collins, and then he says, you know get out of the way in principle you're the facilitator you're not the doer in a way but how do you then as a, you know one of the founding member of the, the business facilitate to create this environment because in principle you this environment help you make a lot of business decisions that you don't need to be involved in and therefore you out of the way in a way get out of the way 
yeah. in a way. Well, first, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you just said. I, I, I think that that advice is, is spot on. Uh, you know, one of the things I coach my team to think about is the most valuable thing that they have is their time. So if you stop to think about how am I spending my time and is it my highest and best use of what I'm doing, who else could help me do this? Who's better situated to do this? That really is what elevates a leader. You know, if, if, if you are a brilliant leader, the, the whole thing runs without you. Right. If you're not there, it's it's smooth sailing. So if you can encourage everyone on your team to think about their time as so important. And by the way, that also includes nurturing their own interests and taking good care of their own health. And if being part of their communities, which are important, don't short suit yourself on that, because especially in hospitality, if you're joyful and you're excited about being at work your guest understands that and if you're the opposite <laughs> your guest understands that too so thinking about how you coach people to spend their time and to know when it's a good use of their time or that someone else on their team and by the way there's a benefit if it's someone who reports to you and you're letting them do something that has typically been on your plate guess what? Their career moves up and so does yours. And if that ripples the whole way down in your organization, then the whole boat rises, right? It, mm. Everybody wins all the way down the line. How, how would you say, well, you can also I can ask in a different way. What are the critical elements for you to sustain that culture. What is it that do you have some rituals? Is the processes you do? Because in my view, everybody, you know, there's an element of building a people strategy or a people approach that has ten things you need to do from recruitment to performance management to benefits and compensation. But exactly how people mix them up that's really critical. Exactly, some people leave some steps out as well. That's not they're not doing the whole cycle of people initiatives and, and technology or whatever it is they use but actually they're very aware about how they mixture this up compared to the end experience they need to create yeah i guess this goes back to my roots the first question that you asked yeah. i try to be on the ground i try to remember what it is to be at every position in our team and try to in some ways roll up my sleeves and be part of that it it underscores my belief that good ideas can come from anywhere and if everyone on my team knows that i work with them they don't work for me i work with them and trying to think about that on a daily basis and be on the ground in important ways i also think there are times in every business where you being there can matter a lot. There are, are important moments in the wine business. It's harvest every year. You know, that is a year's worth of work that comes to fruition or not mm. in a seven to 14 day period. And 
It's highly stressful and weather dependent and mother nature's in charge, not you. And it's all hands on deck and it's late hours and, 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 and. In the hotel business, there's there can be multiple of them. It's a hotel opening. That's a really exciting moment to take a building that is just furniture and ready to go and watch what happens when you infuse it with your first check-ins. It's about moments of celebration that can be big or small, being there and having your team know you're there and you care really matters. And that's sort of a piece of my leadership that I take as seriously as anything else I do, which is truly trying to infuse in everyone's mind that works for our company, you matter as much as our guests matter. Like this, this is a team effort. And, and I think the other piece of it is, I think it's really important to have a sense of humor and to, to have fun. You know, I, I, I try to think about ways that you can take care of your teams that go beyond, like, what's the emotional care that you can do? What really makes your team thrive beyond all of the, the normal checkboxes that, that we could describe? What is one of the most... Um pressing you say if we take a course a bit of different direction in the industry you would like to see solved there's many there's many in the moment but it's like what is the number one if that goes you will think it's like a 20 to 80 percent solution to solve <laughs> yeah i think it's it's not unlike so many businesses and i look to other ceos and in other industries that see how they're solving for it and that's it, it's it's mismatches between the talent set that you need and the availability of the talent, right? It's mm. just, there aren't enough good people with the right training to necessarily fill all the positions, right? And we've, we've seen with the post COVID era, where I think we're running the greatest experiment in redo and we don't know what the outcome is, you know, is hybrid, the right answer um, mm. in, in person, the right answer is work from wherever the right answer, a little less impactful in hospitality because it's pretty hard to run a hotel or a restaurant if, yeah. if you're not there. Right. But some positions in a hotel it, it can, can be remote. So it's not, it's not a hundred zero, but you know, the step way back is how do I, if, if what are the sources, what are the alternatives that I have, right? So if you have a shortage, well, that means you either have to grow them yourself or find them in a different way. I will say there's, there's a, a piece of this, however, in culture where different countries have different views on this. Mm -hmm. And I think the French experience that we've had which is quite different than and the American view. Hospitality is more of a career aspiration mm -hmm. than it is in the U.S., for example. And so, therefore, our ability to succeed and to to think about engaging with a young um, person who's joined one of our properties to to ha to have the head start that they are actually thinking about, wow, this could be my career, 
and and what's my career path as opposed to this is a way station to pay my college bills or to pay whatever it's it's a temporary thing yeah which happens more in the us if that makes sense so that's an advantage and i i think about how do you how how did and true in many european countries how, why is that? How do they think about that? What what has created that? And how how could I translate that to anywhere that I went in the world? Tough tough question. And what, why do you think it it felt like when I looked at it as well? Because I think already when I ran, uh, you know, when I ran restaurants uh, in my early twenties, I already already felt that it was difficult to get enough of the right people. Uh, and it could be, you know, from a both from a skills, but just you're getting enough at a certain time of the year because of course seasonality that hits you, and it's like any business in hospitality that is just high season. And Christmas and winter was really big in that business. And and what what what, what was it that went wrong for us? Why were we? We felt like we like we all knew it would come at some point, but we hadn't done enough to create that culture. And it's not about the individual company; it's more like an industry. Like we hadn't created the framework to foster enough young people to see, oh, this is a great place to be. You, you make happy people when they go out. You can serve them nice food. I give them a nice experience. It's a really rewarding job in that way. But suddenly it's looked now. It's always been a challenging industry to be seen working in. But it seems like now it's really become the, you know, the, the dark, dark sheep of the family in a way, if you work in hospitality almost. Yeah, I mean, you know, Michael, I, I, I would guess if you pull on the rope, this comes back fundamentally to what education and opportunity is available mm. to people. This is this is well beyond an industry comment, right? This is a yeah. national or even international yeah. uh, situation. So quite honestly, it's one of the reasons why I feel like my career in education and higher education is really helpful here because I'm cognizant of what it looks like if someone has a great education and succeeds and goes on versus not. So that's always on my mind, but that that's big. That's all of us. That's, you know, countrywide educational systems and skills training and and I think the rapid evolution um, in the U.S. in particular of technology, like where is this taking us and what, what skill sets do, does our young workforce need and do they see the opportunity and is it affordable? And, you know, that's, that's, that's going to take a lot of great minds thinking together um, to solve that one. I was actually, I was a part of a, I was, I was listening into a panel, which was very nice to not be involved in something the other day in a hospitality panel. And actually I was sitting and reflecting and making some notes. And one of the things they all talked about AI and the threat. And I was mm-hmm. thinking, if you look a bit counterintuitive, exactly AI is actually helping hospitality because at some point people will, first of all, need an income, but also they will find out that human connection instead of just the screen as we do right now, is extremely important uh, part of having a good life. And actually, if I can have a job, there's a lot of human contact. 
it might become interesting. It might be having a very different structure in 10 years' time when AI really roll out and the hospitality jobs, maybe technology help you with a lot of the automation that needs to be done in things that there's no reason for you to do anyway, because it's just, it's not about creating a here and now experience. It's about filling out some spreadsheets or whatever it is. But I was almost thinking that AI could help us in a way, it could definitely be a driver to more people want to come back into the hospitality industry at some point. Yeah, I think there's there's sort of two pieces to how I think about that. One, I'm I'm smiling because not that long ago I actually went to chat GPT four and said, could you help me think about how artificial intelligence can help the hospitality business? And in sub six seconds, Chat GPT came back to me with 12 ideas ranging from customer analytics to answering complaints to uh, fascinating, right? And so I'm like, okay, well, I would, like here's my thought partner that <laughs> invested three seconds, and I'm yeah. I'm wrestling with a big problem. But but to your second um, observation, in some ways, the hospitality industry is insulated. I think. I like I, I, I want to be open-minded that life can change, but insulated to how there is no substitute for going somewhere and staying somewhere and we all eat food and want to have an experience. So I don't think any kind of AI can have you have something else take your vacation for you. No. I, I think AI can't, eat breakfast for you. Like, I, I think there are some limits um, to what AI can do. So I, th I think in, 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 I agree with you that there is a piece of what hospitality actually is, which is in some ways is a very old industry, very old fashioned. I mean, when you think about the origins of, you mm. know, the Roman roads and, and yeah. what popped up in the Thermopopolums was, okay, this is how far the horses could make it in a day. And they needed, you know, food. And that's what staged how far apart um, yeah. the various, you know, places were. So, but hopefully it, it's a plus in ways that let us save labor. Back to my comment about how are you spending your time? Mm -hmm. if, if AI could help every member of my team take something off their plate in a better way, that's an interesting, intriguing idea, right? Because then they can spend more time doing something else or with the guest or something that's more meaningful. Yeah. How do you, Denise, keep on, you know, you know, reinventing yourself? How do you show up in the best version of yourself every day? What is like your top trick as the one of the leading members of the organization and keep on moving forward even in, in challenging times well michael that that's a great question uh, it, it truly gets it you know that how late in my career i did a dramatic pivot from the classroom to to the career that has me doing something completely different so i can assure you that was a a, a enormously invigorating sometimes a scary kind of reset. I I think for me, I try to constantly be curious. Like, don't take things at face value. Be, be open-minded. Understand what's happening in different parts of the world. 
I, I think of myself as a student, not a teacher, even though I was a teacher for so many years. And then I think the other thing that we all should do, I think as a human race, hopefully we're all going to live longer is how do I, how do we all think about taking better care of ourselves? I think about that with respect to all of our businesses. You know, how, how do we create in the broadest sense, healthy, invigorating, uplifting experiences, food, all of that we do that, that helps us all take better care of each other. So I, I try to think about that. Don't always have all the time in the day to do everything you want to do. So that's the wrestle, right? Is, is okay. No, you got to carve time to do that. You have to, you have to take care of your emotional self. And, you know, you, you commented earlier in this interview about taking the time to just listen to something that you, you just wanted to listen to. And, and like, that was like a special half hour or hour or ever, however much you spent on that. So being more deliberate about, okay, how, how do we do that? How do I take that hour and just listen to something that might, you know, jog my creative brain or rejuvenate me in some way. I take incredible joy from nurturing my team. So if there's one thing that makes me younger and more excited every day, it's helping somebody else do that for them. That's just my personality. And so that's, that's how I think about one of the places where I can do the most as the founder and the leader of the company. I love that. You've also that's, that's always, that's been a lot about, you know, mindfulness and meditations and, I try to do a bit of athletes. It's also sometimes for me, it's also being able to help other people or being in, involved in, in communities with thing actually gives me a lot of energy and actually takes me away from my work in some kind of way, because I don't see it as a work thing. It's something I really enjoy doing. And it might be a connection to work somehow, but it's really a thing I enjoy and I'm almost in flow as I do it. And therefore it's good for me. And it makes me, Relaxed on, I really love that. What What is the, your one advice to a couple of questions more here, Denise? But what is your one advice, you know, to uh, to leaders that's also trying, like yourself, to try to build a business as a force for good, one that does good for you know people, community, and the planet? Well, you know, I think about I think about humility. And the answer to that question and the leaders that I most admire, they have this sense of humility in addition to being so impactful and so thoughtful. You do, you like want to be around them and it's clear it's about others, not about them. So mm -hmm. the one thing that I think about is how do I make sure that I never let go of the first day of any job how, how do you how do you stay humble how do you put yourself in the shoes of a new person that feels like they've taken a big risk they don't, they they've just taken a new job like what's that feeling and if you can revisit that feeling i think it keeps you more connected to everyone in your company you're you're in their shoes and so as I look at other leaders, that's one of the traits that I most admire. Those leaders that are just so incredibly amazing. And yet you hear them speak and it's never about them. It, it's about, 
it's it's it and and it and they they also have a certain calmness to them. I think it's a little bit the the place where I can imagine that the Buddhist monks get to, mm. or you know, people who truly have a sense of spirit that they're they're comfortable with who they are and what they've contributed and. And I think great leaders actually really do that. It's it's something that I I look for in leaders. And when I see that quality, I stop and say, okay, how are they doing that? What what is what is their pattern? What does their daily pattern look like? It's a specific leader that has you know it could be somebody you read about, maybe somebody you met, uh, or somebody that inspired you on your journey that has actually you know that these traits is, 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 is exactly where you're taking them from. Yeah. Um, I, well, I, I, you're, you're going to have me pick a specific one, so I'll do that, but I, let me give a bit of an intro to the thematic of it. I have always from a young age read biographies of, of women who have had impact from Catherine the great to Clara Barton, like the, the whole lineup. So my specific answer to you would be Sandra Day O'Connor and the reason why I say that is because um, I loved her practicality, right? She, she was so thoughtful in taking in all the information and all the cases that she, you know, had to, to judge, literally. And all of her writings were so readable. They, they weren't filled with legal jargon. They were understandable. Her logic was clear. Um, she obviously was one of the few women uh, on the Supreme Court and held her own in great ways. And, and the other piece is, look, she was one of the few judges that actually stepped down, you know, wasn't there for life because of a family situation. You know, she had the courage to choose and to realize that her family mattered more, to be with her husband like that's such good stuff, you know? And, and, and I also think she had such a sense of humor and, you know, relative to her impact on all of the decisions, such humility. So that's the person I would pick. I think the the traits are the, are the why, and I'm sure there are thousands of others, but, but that'd be my answer. Yeah, I love that because humility is sometimes to understand where humility is is exactly something you can train because we all have an ego and exactly mastering that ego. And I think I was thinking as you were talking, I was thinking about Herb Killer for the the late Herb Killer from Southwest Airlines. If you really read into <laughs> journey and how he built Southwest Airlines and that culture really comes from humility as well and uh, and he's mentioned in good to great as well and uh, chip conley that was here on the show mentioned him as his uh, uh pen letter you know mentor uh, he couldn't get meetings with him but he could at least write him a letter and then herb keller will write back even though they had you know he had no reason to 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 help chip conley in his early days as the founder of his business but he was still writing these letters and with humility saying that he didn't have all the answers even though he was a very successful mm -hmm. businessman and i think yeah so i think i think it's a very great way and i love your examples as well and i will put the link in the the show notes to, to sarah so people have a read on 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 her as well so where can people learn more about champagne hospitality and if they want to ask you something how do they reach out 
Oh, you're nice. You're nice. We we do have a website that is, is the most obvious. It's champagnehospitality.com. And if you go there, you can see all of our different hotels who also have websites of their own. So LaBartholomewHotel.com, RoyalChampagne.com, and our wine businesses. Similarly, you can find there under CoachYourHarvest.com. But lots of ways to find us through our individual hotels or through our company. Good. Thank you so much, Denise, for, for coming on the show, sharing your journey, the, the great work you're doing in, in the business and actually how you're also building culture and taking your dent at challenging the ways we think about climate and how we actually can solve climate change as well. A pleasure, Michael. Thanks so much for having me. Be well, be safe. I really appreciate that you're listening in. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share with others rate it or give it a review or subscribe to one of our channels which all can be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com I believe that reading books is key to become a great leader so I've helped you with a curated list of some of the books that have impacted the guests here on the show and myself over the years find it on Hospitality Mavericks website hospitalitymavericks.com under the reading list a big thank you to BizTemple for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help leaders to become better every day. Check them out at BizSimply.com or on their social at BizSimply or BizSimplyHQ. You can also email them directly at podcast at BizSimply.com. If you have any ideas and feedback for the show or other thoughts, reach out to me via LinkedIn or my email, michael at hospitalitymaverick.com. I'm Michael Tinkser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick Podcast Show. Be Maverick!